This is the Healthy Lifestyle Podcast, Episode 7, Rebooted Body with Kevin Geary. As a heads up, there is some adult language in this podcast, so be careful around young children. Additionally, Drew and I are not licensed healthcare or fitness experts. We are not doctors. Please make sure to consult your doctor, dietitian, or other healthcare professional about health and fitness or other medical issues. All information shared on the Healthy Lifestyle Podcast is for information and inspiration purposes only. Now let's get to the podcast. Welcome to the Healthy Lifestyle Podcast. This is your host, Tom. I am joined today. We have a great couple guests. We've got Drew Sample, my co-host, of course. Drew, are you there? How you doing? Here. Thanks, Tom. Great. And we also have special guests today. We have Kevin Geary from RebootedBody.com, and he is a leading authority on the psychology of eating, which is great because Drew and I need a whole bunch of that. But uh, <laughs> check him out on Rebooted rebootedbody.com he's got a podcast my wife has become a big fan so um unfortunately she couldn't join us today her my in-laws are downstairs uh and they're just finishing up dinner so um she couldn't join us today but uh what a convenient the- time to schedule a podcast I- yeah welcome to the podcast kevin hey thank you glad to be here well cool uh this is episode six, and um, Drew and I, we, we get together, we talk a little bit about how we're doing. Uh, both of us expressed um, our desire to get a, get more fit, get more healthy. Um, just a little bit about me. Um, I'm a 43-year-old guy, just normal guy. I uh, worked a lot of years in a cube farm or in offices as a civil engineer, and, uh, you know, my weight went up. And, you know, I think when we started, I was up around 300 pounds uh, when we started this podcast. I think I'm down to around 296 right now. So I've lost a little bit. Um, And uh, we're just kicking. We just kicked off a little weight loss challenge amongst our family and friends here. So we're starting to try to get a little more activity, try to lose a little bit more weight. Drew, how about you? Yeah, when I started, uh, I think I weighed... Man, I think I weighed like 287. Then I actually, I was taking a bunch of supplements, man, to put on weight. But then I recently uh, stopped drinking and dropped like six pounds fast. Um, but yeah, man, I'm I'm at uh, I think I'm at 283, and I'd like to get down into the 240s again. But my goal first is UFC heavyweight, get back down to 265. <laughs> but but uh, gravity's not kind of tall people. So I just need to make sure I'm thinner. Like I'm still pretty active. Like we went out and planted like a hundred trees yesterday, and I'm from doing a bunch of yoga. Like I'm pretty. My my joints are actually feeling a lot better. But well, that's good. I just I just think you know that sometimes, man. I, I don't know, Kevin, if you've noticed if if you agree with this, but it seems like as you get older, it's kind of healthier to be thinner or leaner. So and that's kind of like my philosophy and what I'm shooting towards. So I mean, there's definitely the, like you know if you're. We're all getting a little bit more brittle as we get older. We we definitely want to be carrying around probably less excess weight, you know. Yep, absolutely. It always absolutely. helps. What are you doing, Tom, for uh, fitness, for exercise, for movement? Yeah, good question. Um, I I do um, 
I work out in the field, so I'm I go out not in the field field like planning stuff, but I uh, I inspect uh, railroad crossings. So I'm out of the office probably three four times a week, and that's walking and getting in and out of the car a lot. Uh, two days of the week I am in here, but um, you know I try to go to the gym and either lift weights or I swim. I also do a, a cycling class. Now the past week I you know didn't do any of those things, but I was I was taking walks with Julie. You know, just trying to do more low-impact stuff because um, I hurt my knee in football a long time ago, and they still give me some trouble uh, every once in a while today. So mm-hmm. uh, not running because that's a lot of pounding, but uh, I found swimming has been really good, and, uh, and the walks are good too. All right. And let me ask both of you yeah. your history uh, in terms of – trying to be healthy and physically fit like <laughs> have you done a lot of different things throughout the years that have you've started you've made some progress you've fallen off the wagon that kind of thing yeah man i'll go first so uh up until i started like working uh in sales man like i was I, before i was really into bodybuilding and i actually leaned down to i think when i was swimming in high school when i graduated high school i think i weighed 190 pounds which I didn't actually look like that healthy. Like I looked kind of like a freak. Um, but then I, in college, I kind of felt like I found a healthy weight at about 220. And then once I started working, um, I'd still work out from time to time, man. Like I'd have, I'd have good stints, but, um, man, like actively the low, like since I think, I think when I started sales, I got down to like 240 and then, um, and then I uh, ballooned back up to 265, and then I got up into like 290s. Um, and it was a lot of it was from, I think, uh, eating away my uh, my um, trauma. I guess you could say, like I, I would use escapes via be alcohol. Um, a lot of alcohol, like I was drinking. Not now, I drink for different reasons, but it's still probably a good idea for me to stop drinking for a while, especially just. Just from the way my body reacts to it, like if I stop drinking, I think for a good thirty days, like I'll lose twenty pounds. Is this um, beer but, or uh, you know, liquor? mainly beer, man. I really like craft beer. Like okay. I just like craft beer. Um, now I'm getting more into like making my own like ciders and meads. So, uh, but I mean, recently the most success I had, I got back down to two sixty five last summer. And then I don't know, like I, I still feel pretty physically active. Like I always try to get like. Either ten thousand steps a day, um, or I started doing a lot of DDP yoga because it was a m- little bit more aggressive yoga, and I really liked it. Yeah. Um, and that's I've gotten a lot of gains from that, even just like getting strength back, or you know the way like my pants are feeling looser and my like, muscles starting to form and kind of come back. But um, yeah, I mean, so that's kind of my story, man. I've been kind of stuck in this uh, probably two sixty five to two eighty five range for probably the last five years. All right. And Tom? Yeah, me. I'm, I got a little different path. Um, I played college football and everything and I, gosh, I was, my playing weight back then was about 225, 230. And once I graduated from college, well, we had our, uh, our first son, son while I was, uh, in college. So it was immediately survival time. And, I was working a couple jobs, uh, finally graduated. We moved down to Florida for a couple of years and 
got thrown into a consulting firm or I chose a consulting firm life and man we were we were all about the work and you know my dad said one thing to me once he's like you know a lot of hard work in the first couple of years that you know it cover up covers up a lot of sins later on you know so work hard and and so I was had a young kid young family but I was working you know all day long start at eight o'clock get done at five o'clock go home have dinner then head back to the office like at nine nine ten o'clock work till two in the morning wash rinse and repeat and i did that for a couple of years and moved back up to minnesota and did that it was just the way i was working and i did that a lot um all through my 30s that was you said he did a lot of night eating too Tom. yeah yeah we would do a lot of night eating um we got in a habit of going out late you know because tallahassee we didn't uh you know, we could go out late, like at one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, and still get some food and some beer and stuff, and and it set some uh, that put some bad habits in place. You know, um, not only because I'm more of a night owl, um, but eating late, you know, really late, like midnight. Um, that's that's just that's there's some programming there <laughs> that I'm fighting yeah. through. Uh, but my weight went up and, uh, gosh, one point I was up to like three fifteen, and about 2010, I got into running, you know, I wasn't working out much at all. And then, uh, started running, trying to get healthy back in 2010 and got down to about 264 or closer to, yeah, 264, 260, somewhere in there. And, uh, we had some weird stuff go on with the family. And so stop, I kind of stopped working out. Um, and then the weight just came back on and, and, uh, I think I was back up to about 315 last year and then, um, been working that off. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the, the way it's the ebb and flow. Um, you know, with the job change, I just changed to this job last year, my one year anniversary, go figure. Um, but a lot less stress, you know, the consulting world. And then I was also working on a $2 billion light rail project, a lot more stress in those jobs, you know, cause I was uh, a manager. I was also like an assistant vice president at another firm mm-hmm. and also manager of engineering, just a lot of stress, you know, whether it's uh, delivering for clients or you guys know how it is delivering clients, making sales, trying to please upper management, try to keep the workers, uh, busy during slow times or during the crash of 2008 what a miserable time that was um or even you know facing angry hordes in uh angry groups of people uh in my own neighborhoods here um last in the past few years working on the light rail project so uh just decided to cut that stress out and take a different job and and uh and things have been much better since I did that so all right uh so the next question would be what when you like make a goal, you're like, all right, I'm gonna get this under control. I'm gonna try to lose weight. I'm gonna try to get more fit. What is your go-to plan of action? Me and that's first. That's for both of you. Either all one. Right. Well, recently I just tried to go with a new strategy because before I'd have a goal, and then I'd uh, I don't know, like I, I had a lot of success with Whole Thirty last year, like that kind of eating, like just trying to eat fresh food. I'm not as strict now, but like I. My biggest goal is to cook my own meals and prepare all my own meals. Um, I feel like if I start there in the kitchen and I have the kitchen down, it's a lot easier to adjust with exercise habits and everything like that. Like over the years, I used to fall into 
I'm going to hit exercising really hard and then I'd burn out fast or hurt myself. And um, now that I'm getting older, like I'm focusing more on diet and the, and my biggest struggle has seriously been just cutting out um, craft beer. Like it's really, I really enjoy it and uh, it's, it's tough for me to do. And uh, I just need to set systems in place. Like I, I feel pretty good. Like last week, my goal, even though I said on this podcast, was to not drink. I hadn't drank in like five, four days um, going up to that podcast, which was uh, Friday. And then um, so then this Saturday, I kind of gave in a little bit at a couple drinks and um, yesterday as well. Um, but I I mean, it's just a it's a simple thing for me. When you're doing think, craft beer, when you say you're drinking like, OK, so drinking to the point where you feel like it's destructive to your goals. What are you, uh, what's that look like? I just, like how many? It's, it's not even, uh, I mean, maybe I'll have like three, man. It's not even that. I just don't think, I, I think I need to figure out how alcohol affects my body. I think that's the biggest thing. Cause I think it's, uh, different things. And also too, I'm way less likely to be disciplined with my food. Mm-hmm. I think that's when the biggest drinking. thing. Yeah. When I'm drinking, like it's not that I'm necessarily eating more beer. But man, do I eat shittier food, or yep. do is it easier for me to justify yeah. um, hitting a food truck, and or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I yeah, still yeah. don't like I, I like I play these games with myself where I'm not eating fast food, but then I'm going to a food truck, and I'm still eat, ordering a bunch of food and just punishing a bunch of food. Yeah, yeah. And All right. It's, and when you said three craft beers, that's that would be a day. Um. I think uh, now, man. Sometimes two hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends, man. It depends on what kind of mood. Like, I'm how in. many total per day? Uh, on average, it yeah. was at a time where I was just drinking like one or two, and then on the weekends, like, I'd go kind of hard, like uh, maybe like Saturday afternoon. Um, but I, that hasn't been for a while. But like, even then, man. Like, I think, uh, ah, man, it'd be easy for me to put away six or seven beers for sure. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. Um, um, you know, for me, um, I think in getting back to your last question, kind of tying these two together, um, I have looked at a number of different programs. I mean, I did the Body for Life. I've done the uh, Weight Watchers. I've done the um, my Fitness Pal. I'm using my Fitness Pal right now. See, when I I was when I started this year, I was like, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. Boom! This is how we're going to do it. I'm going to use my Fitness Pal. You know, my brother he just lost. 60 pounds it was great and look how awesome he's doing so i can use that same process you can use i can use that my fitness pal too and this is how i'm going to do it i'm just going to use my fitness pal and track and then it's a numbers game you know i'll stay underneath the 1800 or 1850 that you give a 43 year old heavy guy and and that's the game and i don't know it's just uh, there's more to it than that i think and uh you know there's just a lot of different things we've tried and and you know, it's it can get overwhelming. It's like what are you what are you doing right now? Uh, I'm using my fitness pal right now. You're doing yeah. the calories uh, under eighteen hundred right yeah, now. Man. Yep. Okay. All right. So let's talk about let's start talking about some principles, okay? And what we want to achieve eventually. So first of all, we want the approach to be sustainable. Would you agree? Absolutely, hundred percent. Yes. All right. So yes. we want this. We want to adopt a the infamous 
healthy lifestyle, right? Versus healthy lifestyle podcast, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> versus like doing a diet, crashing, falling off the wagon, uh, sitting around for a few months, then drumming up some more motivation to do it all over again, like most people do for decades. Yes. Um, so we want to, first things first, avoid what I call antagonistic advice. So antagonistic advice is advice that basically antagonizes you. It works against your biological and psychological programming. So does your body want to be constricted to an arbitrary calorie count? No way. Okay. So that's antagonistic advice, right? Do, do you as a human being want to spend an hour a day locked inside a gym doing cardio exercise or whatever it may be? No way. No, not all the time. For most people, no, right? And yep. sometimes that's fun, right? Sometimes you're like, yeah. sure, yeah, I love the gym life or whatever. But like, can you see yourself just day after day grinding away in a gym? Probably not, right? No. So that would be antagonistic advice. All right, so there's a lot of different examples of antagonistic advice. But the key to understand is that um, every single person has an inner rebel. So the inner rebel is designed to protect you from oppression. So when you get put in oppressive circumstances, your inner rebel starts chatting in your head saying, get the fuck out of here. Like, mm -hmm. get out now. Like, stop doing whatever you're doing. This is nonsense. We don't want to be doing this. We're not happy doing this. Get out now. Okay, so – I've got a huge streak of that, yeah. <laughs> yes. So the traditional fitness and dieting industry tells you to silence your inner rebel using the techniques of willpower and discipline, okay? So they say, well, you just need more willpower and you need to cultivate some discipline and you need to try to turn off that messaging, right? Hmm. Well, you cannot silence the inner rebel. So – Understanding this, what happens is – this is why some people succeed for a month before they fall off. Uh, some people succeed for six months before they fall off. Some people succeed for two years before they fall off. Every single person has a different level of willpower, a different drive for discipline, and so they can put up with antagonistic advice for varying amounts of time before they fail. Now, the key is that they it always fails. So the more antagonistic advice you try to follow, the worse it's going to be, the faster you're going to fail, and the, basically the more unhappy you're going to be, okay? So the first step is to start to analyze the advice that we're trying to follow and, and ask ourselves, like, all right, what here – like, do I not really want to do? What here really antagonizes me? What here uh, goes against my biological and psychological programming? And most people recognize, like, aversions to things. And you'll see this also with program hopping. This is why people hop from program to program because mm. they'll do one program and then their inner rebel gets so fucking loud in their head that they're like, damn it, I have to, like, I have to stop doing it. Like, where's the next shiny object? And then they jump to that because their motivation can drive them a little bit more when there's something new to focus on. So they jump to the next program or they just crash and burn and binge. And that's another kind of uh, inner rebel thing that we should talk about. Uh, have you ever felt like you self-sabotage? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
And okay. this whole Indian Rebel thing and jumping from thing to thing, that's a huge part of my personality too. <laughs> that, yeah, that, yeah. Oh, wow. Exactly. Okay, so the, the Inner Rebel drives that. The Inner Rebel also drives most of what people refer to as self-sabotage. So when somebody says, God, I, you know, I, I did this diet, I was doing so good, and then for some reason I just self-sabotage. Okay, so it's not self-sabotage. It's your Inner Rebel actually doing its job. Like its job is to protect you from following bullshit advice. So it stepped up. It chatted in your ear until you had enough and then you fell off the wagon, which it wanted you to do because you shouldn't be following that advice anyway. And then you blame it on self-sabotage rather than recognizing that this internal persona of yours did its job, what it's exactly programmed to do. And it's trying to lead you to look – if we follow amicable advice, that's advice that works with your biological and psychological programming, the inner rebel doesn't show up, right? It just stays quiet because there's nothing to rebel against, all right? So that's how you know you're, you're starting to get on the right track is when you're starting to implement advice and there is no chatter in your head. Like you need to stop this. You need to go do that instead. You need to blah, 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 blah. Like all of that calms down just by switching to following amicable advice. So let's talk about – what amicable advice might look like, right? The first thing we have to understand is that you don't lose weight to get healthy. You get healthy to lose weight, okay? So the excess weight is a response to an unhealthy environment. So if you place your body in an unhealthy environment, whether that be unhealthy food, unhealthy levels of chronic stress, unhealthy uh, quality of sleep, unhealthy relationships, unhealthy this, that, and the other thing, it responds negatively. It drives up inflammation. You gain excess weight. Uh, a lot of the eating that's involved with medication or coping is driven by that. And of course, that results in a lot of weight gain as well. But in general, things just don't function very well and your body kind of goes haywire. If you put your body into a healthier environment, you create a healthy environment for your body, then the opposite happens. You have the same cause and effect scenario. It just happens in reverse. So your body begins because it's very resilient, because it wants to achieve homeostasis. It starts to recover. It starts to repair itself and heal, and it starts to drop excess weight. It has no use for carrying around a lot of excess weight. It only does so because that's what the environment that it's currently in calls it to do. Okay, So if we put the body in a healthy environment, it will naturally start to get rid of excess weight. So how do we put the body into a healthy environment? Well, I have a like a three kind of pillar approach to think about. We have to eat, we have to move, and we have to live. Now, we'll get to live in a moment that's a very uh, much more complicated section, but eat can be made pretty simple. And Drew, you're on the right track here with, look, we should just eat real food. We should eat food that was previously alive, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's plants, that's animal stuff that grows, right? And it's not highly processed. And cooking it at home is a perfect strategy because obviously, yes, when you cook at home, even if you eat real food kind of in restaurants, you make real food choices, they're typically using like the cheapest oils they can find and kind of the cheapest quality versions of real food, right? So a, uh, you know, a conventional steak is not the same as a grass fed pasture raised steak. Um, so you can, 
Now, you can be successful eating a conventional steak, but obviously it would be better if you ate higher quality steak, better sourced ingredients. So that's it. Like if you just say, all right, I'm not going to count calories. I'm not going to portion control. I'm not going to do any of these dieting tactics. Those are all antagonistic strategies. I'm just going to do an amicable strategy of nourish my body. Now, this requires a trust in the body. And my argument is that there's no reason not to trust the body. The body is going haywire in the modern environment because the food that is given disrupts its signaling. So your body is naturally programmed to signal satiety and to signal hunger. And in the past, let's say before 80% of what's sold in a grocery store was fake, if you were just eating real food, your body would have no problem signaling properly. So humans kind of – it's funny. It's silly really that we tend to think that like we're the only animals on planet Earth. Like you can look around at every other animal. I don't see any other animal with a spreadsheet or a calculator or like a watch, you know, or an app. They all, and they're not obese, right? Like if you think about a lion, you know, hunting, it doesn't like get up in the morning and like wonder how many calories it should be eating that day. Like it moves, it eats, it sleeps, it fucks, it's, it lays around <laughs> and it's not fucking obese. That's true. Right? That's right. All muscle, total muscle. Yeah, exactly. Muscle right? and so, attitude. Yeah. And that's what uh, the human being will do until you stick it in a cubicle for eight hours and you yeah. feed it a bunch of bullshit that it was never designed to eat and you stress it out and it doesn't get enough sleep. Okay. Now we see where the problem is coming from. So if we go back to, simplistic advice, which sounds simplistic, it's just common sense, right? You just eat real food that your body was designed to eat, and then you tune back in. This is the hard part. You tune back in to the signaling. So when people give the advice, eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, they actually are correct. They're usually full of shit because they don't tell you how to do that, but they are correct that you should, as a human being, be able to do that. So you can... Obviously, see when you're hungry. That's when you eat. You eat slowly. You eat in a connected way. Like if you rush your food, you're not going to get the signals properly. If you eat while you're distracted, you're not going to get the signals properly. So there's a process for tuning back in to these signals, but they are there. And then when you hear the signal for satiety, you stop eating. Now, this is difficult because we've been programmed to eat much larger portions than usually we require. So we've kind of been programmed to overeat. So this does take some strategy. It does take some practice. It does sometimes take some help and some coaching, but it's absolutely doable. That should be the end goal. The end goal should be, I need to return to living life like an actual human being where I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full. Now, we also have the problem of emotional eating, which if you see the, the satiety signal, but you can't stop eating, then we have other issues that, that need to be addressed. So I'm not discounting that, but I'm saying the goal should be to stop pretending that we have to count things and track things and weigh things in order to be successful. We absolutely do not. The end goal should be to not have to do those things. And I would also argue that if you were able to achieve that, you would be a far happier, less obsessed individual. Right. Versus having to constantly track things, constantly weigh things like that's just a crazy obsession and it makes people unhappy. I tell people that if you win at dieting, nobody ever asked this question. 
They, they always want to do diets. And I'm like, what do you get when you win? Well, I've interviewed people who've won the dieting game, and they all say the same thing. I had a body I loved and a life I hated. Right. And that's not what we want to achieve, right? We want a body and life we love. We want both. So even if you win at the dieting game, you've lost hmm. because those people – and a, a large percentage of women especially, when they get there – they haven't done it in a healthy way. They have a lot of self-worth wrapped up in their weight and their appearance, and they are afraid to death of losing their progress. They become even more obsessed, even more unhappy, and it's just – it's a crazy-making cycle versus, hey, how can I nourish my body? How can I take care of myself better? How can I love myself more? How can I invest in myself in an authentic way that I can sustain for the rest of my life? And how can I not get my self-worth wrapped up in how I look and how much I weigh and all of that? So that's kind of the the eat pillar, right? And then we can move on to the move pillar next, but we'll see if there's – are there any questions? No, sir. That wow. was excellent. Yeah, that was really good. And, and so much of – the standard stuff that you get when you you don't you don't get this kind of information you know just joining up with Weight Watch. I mean, you're looking at points. You're looking at oh, yeah. I can eat a cup of green beans today, and and that's <laughs> like two points. And then if you put some butter on it, that might be four points. And oh, I don't know. I mean, you only have eighteen to work with. It's it it just gets maddening, you know. It's yeah, just, and it's then what people do is frustrating. And then the emotional eaters game the system, right? They're like, well, oh, if yeah. I skip lunch. That means I can have dessert later, right? And they start playing all of these shifting games with their food. And the other the other issue is so there's a uh, an emotional eating trigger called well I guess it's not a, it's kind of a biological and a psychological trigger. It's called um, nutritional poverty. Okay, so if you cut calories but you do not change what you're eating. So if you follow the traditional advice of eat whatever you want, just less of it, yeah. you actually become nutrient deficient because it's highly likely that you're not eating nutritious food to begin with. So all you're doing now is reducing your caloric intake, which reduces the availability of nutrients. And your body goes into this state of nutritional poverty. So what nutritional poverty does is it demands it has a constant hunger demanding food in the hopes that you might possibly come across something that has some nutrients in it so it's just your body signaling all hours of the day eat something eat something eat something eat something and this is what causes people to go crazy and this is why they're like i'm always hungry right mm -hmm. so if you nourish nourishing your body with calories is one thing but nourishing your body with nutrients is another when you eat nutrient rich foods you achieve satiety a lot faster and for a lot longer than if you just eat enough calories but those calories don't have as much nutrition packed into them right so any anything that you focus on needs to be focused on nutrition quality of food as well now thankfully just saying, hey, I'm going to eat real foods, does that job pretty well, right? So you can still simplify things in that way. But definitely the advice of just, you know, eat whatever you want, moderation, just eat less of it. Like that is, that advice has no hope of winning ever. So I always, I always try to get people to steer away from that. Wow. I agree. I, I think I've had probably my most success in these years that I've been in this range since I started eating real food. Um, like, cause now I don't feel like I weigh. Okay, so I'm still in that weight range, but my body looks a lot different. Yeah, for sure. 
for sure. And even, and even uh, like uh, blood levels. And it's a weird thing too because I think like something you said too earlier is you don't lose weight to get healthy. You get healthy to lose weight. And um, something that I noticed is like I like I'm I'm pretty I'm blessed to have pretty good genetics when it comes to like blood pressure and and stuff like that. But um, recently, since I've been eating like this, like my blood levels got a lot healthier. Like uh, uh, my triglycerides went down, and so did my uh, my sugars. Like they were already at a healthy range, but they just got healthier. Um, so that was kind of I think that's something too that not a lot of people think about, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, um, just you know the B standard from the the insurance companies and everything else like that when it's not necessarily taking that doesn't really measure the food you're eating in a sense and i think when you take something like blood levels it does but even um just being able to think like i feel it's a lot easier to be creative and think when you you know for me personally like i i think everyone's body's different but for me man i really enjoy some good animal fat and protein and then some some vegetables i just yeah, try to eat for sure, and, I, and I, you f- you feel so much better. Then I started making my own sauces, man, and that seemed to be hmm. the key to everything. Just using some uh, eggs, my my friend's chickens, some good olive oil, and usually like lemon and lime and different spices. Or I'll throw cloves of garlic in it with some with with a hot pepper or something like that. And um, I just try to get creative with it. And uh, uh, like I'm not. I can cook and uh, I feel pretty. I feel like I'm I'm pretty good with an iron skillet and I'm really good with a crock pot as well. But I feel like I could definitely. The more I uh, venture into the kitchen, the 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 better I feel. And the easier it is to make food, man. The yeah. easier it is to, to and the t- to have. Going to what you said about animal fat, animal fat, right? That's it's that yeah. makes food a lot tastier, doesn't oh, yeah, it? Definitely does. Oh, you know, oh, like yeah. <laughs> like when I. So I always used to think about like eating healthy about like broccoli and all. And then of course it was, it had to be like low fat in the past, right? So you're eating like steamed broccoli with nothing on it. I'm like, this is fucking disgusting. Like it really, really it's horrible. Yeah. But you suddenly you put butter on the broccoli and it's, it's amazing, mm-hmm. right? It's great. I eat broccoli all the time. And these animal fats specifically, saturated fat, is very, very important. Cholesterol, which has been absolutely demonized, is the building blocks of hormones. So people that avoid cholesterol and avoid fat in general are not giving their body the building blocks that it needs to feel amazing and to do what it needs to do and to heal and repair and just be optimal. So we, like I said, again, going back to antagonistic advice, huge antagonistic advice, uh, alarm bells go off when somebody says, all right, you got to eat low fat or you have to avoid fat. Even those that say you have to avoid carbohydrates, you know, that can easily become an issue as well. And of course, we can talk about important context surrounding carbohydrates, but I'm not a fan of cutting out any specific thing that's actually necessary for the body to function uh, at, a, at an optimal level. So one strategy I've done, I haven't cut out carbohydrates, but I, I really cut out. I try to cut out breads and a lot of grains, just because I don't. I don't really. I haven't enough research to get enough a good source of grains, but I, I just try to get all my carbohydrates from fruits and vegetables. Is that a bad strategy? In a sense? No, 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 definitely not. So when I say eat real food, just to clarify, grains for the most part, except for rice, 
is not real food. It's a very highly processed food. Um, so that's kind of automatically excluded in the advice of eat real food. Um, so yeah, even though it's technically a plant, this is a very like domesticated thing that, that we're eating in terms of cereal grains, especially. So, um, highly domesticated, almost always sprayed with a bunch of crap as well, and then takes a pretty extensive refining process to make into something edible. That's not really what I'm going for when I'm talking about eating real food. Hmm. Interesting. Excellent. Yeah, I was reading uh, Scott Adams' book. Something he coffee quite a bit, and a lot of people don't can't handle caffeine late at night. But he said a strategy he used was eating rice because it's a healthy starch, or a potato after when you're when you're ready to kind of calm down, and that will kind of help counteract the uh, caffeine. I don't know if you've tried that or not, but it's. It I haven't me, tried it. I drink way too much coffee, but I just. I haven't tried coffee. it, but I do. Um, just know based on all the people that I've worked with, research I've done, that if you if you partition carbohydrates, and we're talking real food carbohydrates, starches, um, you know, uh, vegetables that are higher in carbohydrate, things like that, you partition those toward the evening, they do improve sleep. And, you know, that's another kind of dieting myth is, well, don't eat carbs at night or don't eat food at night. It doesn't matter when you eat food. It matters. And, and again, this is, goes back to this kind of the silliness of counting calories every day is that your caloric need fluctuates from day to day based on your activity levels. So it would be most optimal, most efficient to let your body manage that the way that it's designed to through hunger and satiety signaling because your body knows what it needs versus just setting arbitrary calorie counts on it. I mean, what if you start lifting weights and your goal is to add lean muscle mass? Your body needs more calories to do that, but here is my fitness pal saying, no, you can't do that. And then your body gets desperately hungry and you're like, God, I gotta, you know, I'm not happy. I'm hungry all the time, but I gotta stick to my plan, man. I gotta stick to these 1800. Your body's screaming for more stuff. Right, and you're withholding. Done that with this, yeah, I have been yeah, there and, and done that with all of this, yeah. And then you don't see the the, the lean muscle mass gains that you were hoping for because your body doesn't have the building blocks to build the lean muscle mass, right? So then you just lose weight, but you're still fat. Exactly. exactly. Or you get frustrated and stuff your face with a bunch of chips. I've done that before too. <laughs> or Which, you, or yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or a house to take a six pack to the dome. Yeah. And, and that's that's really what cardio does too. So if you are restricting calories. You're not doing anything to maintain your lean muscle mass. You're not lifting and you're just straight up running. You're like couch to 5K. This is what I'm doing and I'm cutting calories. I'm going to 1800. I'm doing couch to 5K. A lot of the weight you lose is lean muscle mass. Mm. It's not like you're – so I tell people all the time, you can lose 10 pounds. I can take somebody who they weigh the same. Uh, and I, and I put one person over here, they lose 10 or 15 pounds. I put the other person over here, they lose five and they look dramatically better than the person who lost 10 or 15, right? So the weight doesn't matter at all. If you're maintaining lean muscle mass, dropping only body fat, you're going to look a lot better than someone who's losing a little bit of body fat and a lot of lean muscle mass and who's running themselves ragged. Like you can't focus on weight. That's like another uh, big issue of mine is when people work with me, they throw out their scale. We're not going to weigh anymore. It also that again, antagonistic advice. It drives people absolutely insane. They live and die by the number on the scale, and it really. I've seen people make. So the other thing is it can't be about weight because I've yeah. seen people 
reduce their blood pressure immensely. All their blood markers are improving. They feel amazing. They're sleeping better than ever before. And they step on a scale and they've lost weight. But the number doesn't say what they wanted it to say. Some arbitrary number they had in their mind and they fuck up the whole thing. They quit. They quit. Everything is going in the right direction. And they don't even, so they're not even, they don't even understand the long game. Because if you look at somebody who goes from 300 pounds to 205 pounds, let's say, right? That's a huge, huge thing. If you look at a chart, let's say they tracked their weight. If you look at a chart, their weight would plateau multiple times. It would even go up sometimes before dropping down. The trend line would be from 300 to 205, but there would be a lot of days in there where there's no apparent gain or an opposite. You go in the opposite direction. So if you're weighing yourself during those periods, that drives such – crazy discouragement that most people cannot handle and they don't they fail to play the long game and understand that that is a natural chart that's a natural ebb and flow of this process and you have to be prepared for that and if you just monitor it you're fucking yourself up yeah that happened so you think big that- time in in may june and it just guy got so pissed off about it i did a podcast about it and and i know julie's experienced the same thing right now and and it's just driving her crazy and it's you know we just gotta chill <laughs> you know keep yeah. keep long the long game in in uh in mind drew uh drew i stepped on you sorry about that brother oh you know man you're fine though no, that was good to point out uh kevin what do you think of more accurate form of measurement is do you think it's just getting in touch with your body listening to your body maybe doing measurements like measuring tape uh, you can do a measuring tape my favorite is so that kind of fluctuates as well uh like let's say you have a night where you're like all right i'm just i'm gonna eat some we're out of the mexican restaurant and it's a family gathering and i'm just gonna have some chips and salsa blah blah blah. so you eat that that's there's a lot of sodium there so you retain some water the next day you get up you do your measurements you're like fuck i fucked everything up and it's really like a such a temporary thing like you didn't do anything bad like nothing happened um, but you think you think everything went haywire because the measurement is different than what you wanted or hoped for or it's worse than last time or whatever. So that can still cause problems. What I typically recommend for people is just take pictures of yourself. Mm-hmm. Take pictures of yourself like once every two months. That's it. Just every two months take a picture of yourself and look at the picture and that's it. That's all you're going to go by. And so the other thing is – you know, if you see yourself every single day, so you look in the mirror pretty much every single day, you're not going to notice changes until you look back at a picture that's two months old. Then you're going to notice the changes. So that's why I say just take a picture. That's it. Then you can kind of see yourself the way other people see you because if you haven't seen somebody in a while and you've lost weight, that's kind of the first thing they're going to realize. Oh, this person's lost a little weight. You don't even know. You don't even, cause you look at yourself every day. You have no idea. You can think that you're making zero progress whatsoever. So I just say, look, play the long game every two months, take a picture of yourself and you're going to watch. You're going to see what happens. Hmm. That's good advice. And there's, there's no possibility other than getting that voice out of your head that when you look in the mirror saying, I don't see any changes. That's the only thing you have to like, you know, stop listening to. But there's no like, all right, I'm going to measure myself and the number is going to say something different or I'm going to get on scale and the number is going to say something different. All of that, you know, you can do away with all of that. That voice in your head, that can be pretty powerful. You know, I mean, it'll say, 
freaking loser. You just screwed the effing thing up, and what yeah. the hell? Have this ice cream, dude. <laughs> yeah. Know? Okay. So the voice in the head, um, <laughs> people always ask – this is like – so somebody will always start. They'll be doing great and then they'll inevitably eat some ice cream or whatever. You know, I, I tell people all the time like during the summer, you know, I, do, I eat ice cream like once a week usually with family. It's like a thing that we do and it's – so food should be enjoyable, right? Yeah. It doesn't, this isn't saying that the, the number one way to piss off your inner rebel – um, and I was going to tell you this, Drew, regarding your craft beer, is to say I'm never going to have that again, or I'm or I'm going to cut that out completely for X amount of time or whatever. Um, it's finding a way to change you, the the way that you see that thing. Yeah, change your relationship with that thing, right? So, like, f- in terms of craft beer, the way I would see a healthy relationship with food and craft beer is. I am going to cook myself a real food meal. I'm going to nourish the hell out of myself, and I'm going to enjoy one craft beer during this meal, mm. and, and that's it. And I'm not going to say, all right, I'm withholding this thing. And so when you do withhold it, then you want more of it. Yep. Yeah, uh, then you binge, right? Yeah, yeah so exactly. Of- so when your willpower or, and or discipline run out, then that's when the binge comes. Yeah, and you go completely off the rails. And then we know what happens when that occurs is you gain back even more weight than you started with, right? which is terrible, right? Um, versus what? what is the damage? So I guess this is a good time to get into my bank account philosophy. If you, because people approach dieting, a fitness, health, or whatever with this all or nothing mentality, whereas they don't approach a lot of other things in life with an all or nothing mentality, like finances, for example. If somebody wants to have a healthy financial bank account, their strategy isn't, all right, I'm going to make a hundred percent deposits <laughs> and I'm never ever going to take any money out of my account. So like you can ask the person – What are you talking about, man? (laughs) (laughs) If you did that, right? If you did that, ask the person what what the fuck are you saving the money for? Like what do you – if you can never – are you going to be happy doing that? Of course the answer is no. You're you're happier when you're spending money, right? So you just have to make sure you make more deposits than you do withdrawals. That's a problem. Then you have to stay out of debt. So debt in terms of health and fitness is borrowing success. That's dieting. So if you do Weight Watchers and you're successful, you're borrowing success because you're going to pay for it later in the form of this is not sustainable. It's going to end in a binge. You're going to gain back more weight than you started with. That's what debt in health and fitness bank accounts looks like. All right. Or you find some magic pill approach. You take Dr. Oz's latest supplement or whatever. Okay. So yeah, when you stop taking the supplement, everything goes haywire. You've borrowed success. Stop doing that. So stay out of debt. Make more deposits than you do withdrawals on a day-to-day basis. So if you're making 70% deposits versus 30% withdrawals, that's great. If it's 80-20 sometimes, if it's 90-10 sometimes, if it's 100-0 sometimes, let it fluctuate. Let it be based on your intrinsic motivation levels at any given time. But just keep an eye on it and be objective about it. And when it starts to get out of hand, realize that – all right, there's some issue cropping up in my life. Most likely some major stress has come into my life or something else is not going the way that I want it to. And my relationship with food is starting to turn into, instead of nutrition and pure enjoyment, it's turning into medication and coping. And we can start to deal with that when that occurs. But you just give yourself this 
mentality of it's all about a bank account, maintaining a healthy balance. Today I'm going to make more deposits than withdrawals. So when you eat ice cream, if you have an all or nothing mentality, you're like, oh, I fucked up. I I never do this right. I'm hopeless. Everybody wins but me. And then, of course, that shame, that guilt drives three more days of eating ice cream or five more days of eating ice cream. So I tell people all the time, like the ice cream you ate means nothing in the context of living a healthy lifestyle. It means absolutely nothing. You've done no damage. What like to think that your body is that sensitive, that it's not resilient enough to handle a bowl of ice cream is is crazy talk, right? Of course it can handle metabolically a bowl of ice cream without you gaining any weight. The damage occurs from the shame and the guilt and all of the negative self-talk that comes in after eating a bowl of ice cream because you don't have the right mindset approach to this, and that drives further binging and a dysfunctional relationship with food. So that's where the damage comes from, not from enjoying a bowl of ice cream. It's good stuff, man. Um, Really good. So, I mean, it's all about self-talk. It's all about the mental aspect of, or it's all about having a system and a strategy. It's all of the above. Yeah. But no, it's, it's 20% mechanics. It's 80% mindset and psychology. So you can tell people what to eat and how to move. And 80% of them will not be successful because they still don't have the right mindset. They still don't have a functional relationship with food, body, and self. So you, they can have all the right – and this was my story, right? This was – I when I – I'll just go back to it. 2009, I was 220 pounds. I was 60 pounds overweight. I had high blood pressure. I was a borderline diabetic, and I was in a physical. My wife had told me to go get a physical. The doctor tells me all of these things, and I was like, all right, doc, what do I do? And he's like, you eat less, you move more. And so I left the office going, well, I've already done that for many years. I, I tell people I dieted up to 220 pounds. Right, like through the through the standard process that everybody does of lose ten, gain twenty. That's what I did, and you end up at two hundred and twenty pounds with all of these medical issues. So I left his office, going, "All right, I'm going to go find somebody who's saying something different than anything I've heard before." Thankfully, I came across people talking about eating real food and doing functional fitness. However, what they didn't tell me was if you have a dysfunctional relationship with food, none of this matters. Mm-hmm. So I applied the advice of eat real food and do functional movement and get great sleep and focus on gut health and align your hormones and all of this other stuff. And I went from 220 pretty rapidly down to 180. And then I went back to the standard American diet and I started binging and everything went back in the wrong direction and I quickly gained back 15 pounds. And that's when I realized at the time I thought, holy shit, I'm the only person on planet Earth who can have all the right information and still fail. Uh, (laughs) I, I didn't know at the time that this is a problem that most people have. So actually right now on our website at RebootedBody.com, we have two free evaluations that people can take. One is a dieting dogma evaluation. It evaluates how programmed they have become by the fitness and dieting industry, basically following destructive advice. And then the second one is an emotional eating evaluation that determines how functional or dysfunctional your relationship with food, body, and self is. And we've put a lot of people through this now. We get 150 to 200,000 unique visitors every single month to our site. So we're putting a large percentage of people through these evaluations. 81% of men and women who take these evaluations, it 
has determined that they have a dysfunctional relationship with food, body, and self. And when you interview them afterwards, they agree. And they say, yes, I do have a dysfunctional relationship with food, body, and self. So that tells me that 80% of people, and this is the big gap in the health and fitness industry, where everybody wants to talk about food and everybody wants to talk about fitness to 80% of the population who has a dysfunctional relationship with food, body, and self. It doesn't matter if they know what to eat. It doesn't matter if they know how to move. They won't do it consistently because food to them is not nutrition and is not enjoyment. It is medication. It is a coping mechanism. It's comfort. It's love. It's security. It's a lot of things that they don't currently have because of their past or their current situation or whatever. So you cannot educate these people out of their position, out of their failure. You can't educate them to success. You can't motivate them to success. They will never willpower themselves to success, and they will never discipline themselves to success. That's the bottom line. You have to focus on the psychology of the individual. You have to focus on the exact factors that are leading them to be inconsistent on a day-to-day basis. That's excellent, man. Yeah, that's something I noticed about myself, especially. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's interesting though, because I still feel like I, I mean, I'm, I mean, you know me well, like I'm well enough. I work pretty hard on myself, but sometimes it's like I work hard, play hard. And it's like finding that balance. Yeah, for sure. I'm just, I'm soaking this all in because it's like I've been through these different programs and they've, Ugh. It's just been. You having some aha moments out. over there, Tom? <laughs> What's that true? Some light bulbs going you, off. You having some aha moments over there, Tom? Shit, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, you guys want to get to movement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mo- okay. And I do, and and remind me, I do have a big question from the audience uh, later on. But yes. Okay. Good. We'll get there. All <laughs> right. So movement, uh, movement. We have to do the same thing with movement that we did with food. We have to get rid of the antagonistic advice. We have to adopt amicable strategies. The most amicable strategy, I have a core movement philosophy and then I have like a supplemental or secondary movement philosophy and then combined together, those create the big picture. So the core movement philosophy is understanding that the human body has to move and it doesn't just have to move in terms of burning calories and things like that. People think in terms of uh, what people think traditionally. It also has to move in terms of health. Like your lymphatic system is based on movement. If you're not moving, it's not working properly. So your body has to move. It's biologically programmed to move. It's mostly biologically programmed to move on a low-level basis. That is like walking long distances, okay? Uh, Primary method of travel for most of human history True. was walking. All right. So that's, that's in your genetic code. Like that's what you're supposed to be doing. Modern environment completely based on not moving. No, none. none. <laughs> so automatically there has to be some, some level of push to like do this intentionally. It has, it's not going to happen by accident. It definitely has to be intentional, but it doesn't have to be antagonistic. All right. So the first thing that we need to do, I tell people all of the time, I know that this sounds like grandmother strategy, but you have to walk intentionally, you know, 30 minutes, at least a day, preferably 60 minutes. Now, for those who don't enjoy walking, for the most part, 
it's a mindset issue around walking that can be worked through. When I tell people, number one, are you an entrepreneur? Yes, I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. Or are you a salesperson or do you really care about your job and you want to do better and you want to innovate and things like that? Walking for me and for most people who I recommend it to, when they go on walks, they have their best ideas. Mm. So I tell people, look, focus on that as a reason to go walking. Get away from the desk. Get away from engaging your mind in the same way you engage it all the time and get moving. The mind works better when you're moving. If you look at brain scans of somebody sitting for an hour versus somebody who just took a 20-minute walk, massive difference in brain activity. All right. So there's one thing. Two, mental health. Are you stressed? Um, do you frequently get anxiety or any other like kind of just mental health type? I'm not fantastic. I'm not great. Go for a walk. You're going to feel better. Uh, listening to podcasts. Are you a podcast listener? Perfect time to listen to podcasts is when you go on a walk. There's a lot of different ways you can approach this, but the bottom line is the body has to move. Walking is a great form of movement. Now, second thing, uh, this is the most amicable strategy I found that people can stick to for pretty much their entire life and never ever need willpower or discipline to engage in it. And it's a strategy called Dwight, which is do what you love today. So I ask people, to make a list of physical activities that they love to do, that they are intrinsically motivated to do. So for me, I have things like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I have rock climbing. I have tennis. So I have a bunch of activities. And what I do is week to week, I just ask myself, like, what am I most motivated to do? A lot of times it's tennis, but sometimes tennis gets boring. So then something else generally takes over. Oh, that's when I really want to go to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or MMA or something like that, right? So I'm constantly switching between these physical activities. I'm not caring. I have no care in the world how, quote, unquote, consistent I am with any activity. I care about the, the long game of consistency in physical activity. And I just jump from activity to activity that's intrinsically motivating me so that I can go enjoy it and have fun and I'm getting movement and fitness at the same time. When I go to a two-and-a-half-hour tennis match, I, nobody can argue with me that that's not great physical fitness, right, or a 60-minute Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. It's pretty much – 80% of what you need in terms of movement and you're doing – you're playing a game. You're having fun. You're doing this with other people. You're intrinsically motivated to do this stuff versus the classic advice of go to the gym. Here's your, your little sheet that I made for you. Here's yep. your sets and your reps. Put this weight on. Oh, and you got to wait for the machine because you know Betty over there is using it right now and all this other nonsense <laughs> that most people go through. Or, hey, put in this P90X DVD for the 500th time and then uh, everybody's uh, like, I need more willpower to do my P90X. Well, no, because you hate P90X. Stop yeah. doing p Stop doing shit you hate. That's right? work for me. <laughs> yeah, so you make this list and the longer your list is, the better. Right, But not everybody has a long list. Some people have two or three activities. That's a good start. But you, you just cycle them. What are you most motivated to do? And by the way, you can do this. When I go play tennis, there's 70-year-olds playing tennis. This mm -hmm. is like if somebody says, all right, I'm going to do CrossFit at 5 a.m., five days a week. Like, if you just said, is that sustainable? Like, Are you going to be doing CrossFit at 5 a.m., five days a week when I check in with you six months from now? Hell no, you're not. 
right? Because eventually that's going to run you down. You're not going to have as much. I, I know it's new and shiny right now and seems great right now, but you're not going to be doing that six months from now. Like you got to be honest with yourself. Can you do CrossFit? Yes, but approach it in a more functional way. Right. Have a better relationship with CrossFit. Say CrossFit's going to be one of my activities that I love to do. And when I'm inspired to do CrossFit at 5 a.m., I'm going to go do CrossFit in five a- at 5 a.m. If I'm not inspired to do CrossFit at 5 a.m., I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do something else instead. So this is the strategy. When I when I let people do this, I say let people because it's like they just need permission. It's like they think there's something wrong with this. Like they're they're not supposed to have fun. They're supposed to beat themselves up. It's supposed to be a war. You're supposed to go to war with your body in order to be successful. And when you give them permission to not do that, to just go have fun, then it's like they're completely liberated. So that's my base level strategy. Now the question is, because I get an objection, well, I don't have any physical activities that I love and that inspire me. So we have to start talking about your comfort zone. Right. The fact that what activities, what physical activities have you tried? What new activities have you started in the last 10 years that are physical? Oh, nothing. All right. Well, maybe there's something else going on. Like, oh, I don't want to go to that. Uh, I don't want to go start tennis because I'll look like an idiot on the court and I'd rather not do that. So the person just never does. So that's a comfort zone issue. That's not a I don't have any hobbies issue. So there's a, there's a lot of different angles here, but that's the fundamental philosophy is building a fitness routine around stuff that is inspiring to you, intrinsically motivating, and that preferably hits a lot of other core human cravings you have, like a craving for connection with other human beings. Often when I go to tennis, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, we are doing this with other human beings that I'm befriending and I build relationships with them. That is deposits into my health bank account in a whole different way versus last time I went to the gym, I didn't talk to a single person, right? So you got to kind of start looking at this bigger picture and see where am I making my investments in time and energy and motivation? Where is my mindset? All of that stuff. That's excellent, man. That's really good because I I think I just recently – like I was having a lot of success with DDP yoga. I was really enjoying it because I was having, like, I was getting this movement back. I was starting to feel stronger. And then, um, towards the end, it just felt like, okay, something's going on here and I'm trying to force this. Yeah. And then it's like, uh, like I had a lot of success just trying to get 10,000 steps a day. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, man, I need to find that happy balance or try to, uh, like, I feel like my base should be 10,000 steps a day. And try to do DDP yoga, you know, three times a week, four times a week, something just for my movement and flexibility. So I've like been working on different strategies, but like just hearing you explain that really helped me put some things in order in my brain. Yeah, and I and I would always caution against uh, quantifying things like ten thousand steps or three days a week or this or that versus look every single day. So if you think of movement as nutrition. Yeah. Which I think most people should do. You think of nourishing your body with food. You should also think of nourishing your body with movement. And the other reason to think about it as nourishment is because 
just like food, there is nourishing movement and there is destructive movement. Training for a marathon, for example, being a marathon runner is a destructive form of movement, highly inflammatory, highest injury rates among any physical activity anywhere in the world, that sort of thing. Runs you into the ground, depletion of lean muscle mass. All right, so there's a lot of destructive consequences to marathon. So not all movement is nutritious. So if our goal is just to say every single day I'm alive as a human being, I have to nourish my body with movement the same way I nourish it with food. What am I intrinsically motivated to do today to nourish my body with movement? If that's a 60-minute walk and that's it, that's fine. If it's DDP yoga, that's fine. If it's CrossFit, that's fine. It doesn't matter. So don't get caught up in the details. Get caught up in the long-term game, the practice of nourishing my body with movement every single day. And I'm not going to grade myself regarding performance or what type of movement or was that the plan or anything like that. It's all about day in and day out, consistent nourishment with movement. Wow. More mind-blowing over here. I've you know I've never <laughs> heard that uh, movement – described in that fashion before and you know all my years of football all my years of just 43 years on this planet and my dad played pro football never uh we never talked like that we never i mean it was always the no pain no gain and push yourself yeah. to the limit and beat the crap out of the other guy and yourself as well i mean you know that's just the way we were built as football players you know and this is just oof. liberating right <laughs> it's, it's liberating, liberating. yes it yes. is and the other thing to know is that if you take an activity that you love, you can easily turn it into an activity you hate by believing that you have to do it yes. or believing that you have to do it a certain amount of times, right? Like I love photography. When I tried to do photography as a business, I hated photography. I didn't want to be made to do it. Right. I wanted to do it on my own terms. You, the same thing happens with movement stuff. People can love CrossFit, but when they say, all right, I have to go to CrossFit five days a week and then they have to start forcing them to do it, like they suddenly start to hate CrossFit and then they blame it on, you know, other nonsense like self-sabotage and so on and so forth. But that's, that's how it occurs. So if you just take an approach of, it's it. I'm just moving my body every single day. I'm nourishing my body with movement every single day. And the details surrounding that don't really matter. Now, when you get into a, a more productive mindset, a functional relationship with movement, then you can start to make some tweaks here and there. And that takes us into our other movement philosophy, the kind of supplemental movement philosophy is that if I play tennis, and I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, I'm still not getting like neither of those things meet a core need for very high intensity movement, which actually is another thing that our body is biologically programmed to do. If you think about hunting, if you think about um, running from something, like your body needs to kind of often engage in very, very high intensity movement, kind of like sprinting or interval training or something like that. Uh, it activates the central nervous system in a way that other types of movement do not. So it's good to supplement with that. If you realize that, all right, none of my movement practices, none of my wild activities, nothing that I'm doing really engages my body in that way, then you can start to say, all right, maybe once a week or so, 
And you're not like going to hold yourself to this where you're like shaming and guilting yourself if it doesn't happen. But you get to a point where you you really want to nourish your body with this kind of movement. Like it just again, you become intrinsically motivated to do it. So it doesn't require willpower and it doesn't require discipline when you're in the right mindset. So you and you start to itch for it. You're like, God, I haven't like sprinted in a while. Like I really need to do that. So once a week or so, you get out and you do six or nine sprints, medium distance, long distance sprints. You know, we're talking like maybe six 50 yard sprints and 300 yard sprints full out. You know, really like drain your body. That's a good nutritious form of movement. Doesn't have to happen often, but you know, once a week, once every two weeks, if you do that, that's very supplemental and can do a lot of good for you. Another thing is resistance training. If you're not, if none of your activities incorporate resistance, it's another thing your body is biologically programmed to do. It is biologically programmed to lift heavy things. So this would need to happen slightly more often, maybe twice a week. Or, you know, three times every two weeks or something where you are lifting in a very functional way, usually compound movements. My favorite to do is a sandbag. And these don't have to be long workouts. So when I do a sprint workout, it's about 20 minutes long. That's it. And I'm done. When I do a sandbag workout, resistance training, it's about 20 minutes long and I'm done. And it's purely supplemental. And I don't do it often enough where I ever start to hate it. It's just, it's supplemental. It's there and you start to enjoy it and you incorporate it and you get a lot of benefits from it. So that's kind of the supplemental side of the, the movement practice that I teach. Wow. Awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, was, I had ideas going in my head. So do you think uh, – so what do you do with a sandbag? Is it kind of like what you'd use a kettlebell for? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's it's just a little bit different than the kettlebell. You can do some different types of exercises. It's easier to manipulate the weight that you're using. Like, so you buy a kettlebell if you want to do a different weight. You got to buy another kettlebell. You know that kind of thing. Versus a sandbag. Uh, usually it has like two filler bags in it. So if you're doing stuff with uh, just overhead, for example, or something that's a more difficult movement and you need less weight, you just pop one of the filler bags out and you're left with the other one. Um, you can have spare filler bags to the side that weigh different amounts. You can throw those in the bag if you need to change things up. So it just provides a lot of flexibility. It requires no other equipment. You can do it anywhere in the world. Like when I travel, we almost always go to the beach when we go to vacation. So I'll take an empty sandbag with me. When I get to the beach, I fill it up with sand and boom, I have my gym, you know, mm. for supplemental exercise. And again, I might only do that once while I'm there because that's really all that's needed. You don't have to be a gym rat. You don't have to do resistance training every single day. Uh, it's just supplemental. And put like our push-ups and kind of body weight exercises, is that, is that good supplemental as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. I've been trying to, that was something that attracted me to DDP yoga because I wanted to be in control of my body. Yep. It was kind of like the nice movement of, it's kind of like the the nice mixture of uh, like I guess like isometric uh, workout with meets yoga. So I I've enjoyed that and it feels good to be able to I I don't know. There's something about being able to control your own body that absolutely gives you, gives you a stronger sense of self. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's res it's very restorative. And any movement that increases mobility and flexibility are going to increase health as well. And they're also if you're thinking about uh, not living longer, but living better for a longer amount of time. Like you definitely don't want to be dependent when you're older. 
Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so anything that involves flexibility, mobility, athleticism, agility, all of that is going to keep you living better, longer versus what a lot of people are doing is they're working out for aesthetics. Mm. So they're going to the gym, they're doing isolated movements, you know, like for guys, that's like you can see the guy in the mirror doing bicep curls and shit. So he's making his biceps look good, but that doesn't translate to the real world. You watch these people do jujitsu, they can't fucking move. Right, you yeah. you they go to get groceries out of their car and they throw their back out because everything is about looks. Nothing is about actual movement that they've done. So you have to really you know avoid doing that. Everything should. That's why I say functional movement. Functional means it translates to the real world. It's not just for aesthetic purposes. Wow. Yeah, I felt pretty good planting trees this weekend, Kevin. I must say, I had to kick in this freaking like. Uh, I don't know. We used a tractor for a lot of it, but then certain areas we couldn't, so we actually had to use some sweat equity, man, and it felt good yeah. to take this little wedge and stomp the hell out of it until <laughs> I got it into the ground and then move it around and then put a tree in. And we, I don't know, man. There's something about, um, do like doing shit like that. There's something yeah. about like just, and I was kind of like, and I was like, man, I feel so good today. Like I feel kind of tired, but it's like a good, yeah, and I feel like I did some real functional. I don't know. Like I, I, I think uh, people learning. I guess uh, for me, it was always important to kind of learn ergonomic type stuff. So you make sure you have good, you know, that you're not putting your back in a weird area or anything like that. And I think with with functional, but I think that comes with core strength. But man, like I felt, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm still pretty sore, and I know, uh, I'm sure, my buddy Greg is too. So I think. Uh, um, you know, just uh, that's something too that I liked about farming when I first started was man, like shoveling, you know, truckloads of compost and wood chips and stuff like that, and then moving around. Like I liked, I liked that aspect of of farming, and I thought that's what farming was all going to be about because I like that that labor. And sometimes I think uh, I need to. I think that's. I mean, for people that listen that farm, I think it's it's a good way to to really I think push yourself and kind of get what you're doing is. Yeah, go move your your uh, go go in and turn your compost pile or or something like that and get get that workout in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. I can spend hours back in my garden and and uh, boy, at the end of the day, I'm really tired. But I've been out there for 12 hours and it's it's fun. You know, it's a lot of fun and you're doing a lot of different things. So yeah, and if you combine it. that with nutritious food, you're naturally going to to get results mm -hmm. from that. You know, whereas some sometimes you get in a mindset of, man, I've been working in the yard all day. You know what? I deserve a bunch of garbage, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you're undoing all of that. What is there? 12 did. years. That's right. Yeah. So if yeah. you if you if you get into a mindset of, oh, all of that yard work, which also has the benefit of being outside, getting sunlight, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. Like it, farming practices really have a, a lot of advantages to them in terms of the way that you're doing movement, the environment that you're doing movement in. It's very, very natural. It really aligns with your biological and psychological programming. So if you can get into a mindset of that work is physical nourishment that needs to be coupled with food nourishment, then you're winning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I think that's um, that, that helped me get on that thing. Um, well, what's the, what's the next step, Kevin? What's the third piece of living? Are we, ah. are we ready for living? 
Yeah, eat, move, live. So live incorporates uh, healthy lifestyle habits in terms of sleep, which is a big one, getting eight hours of sleep every single night and making sure that sleep quality is high. Uh, it includes things like looking at gut health. How is my digestion? Uh, if I have any digestive disturbances, that lets me know that my gut is not functioning in a very healthy manner, which means I'm probably not absorbing nutrients to the degree that I should be, and I probably have uh, inflammation and understanding that the gut is directly linked to the brain uh, via the vagus nerve. So if you have gut issues, you're also likely going to have more stress, more anxiety, things like that. So when people heal their gut, they naturally see anxiety. And um, I, I guess I should say their ability to handle stress is increased. All right. So go ahead. Were you about to say something? I was going to say, yeah, what's a good strategy for figuring out your gut health. I mean, this is going to sound goofy, but it's important. But like, you know, I've heard different things of people tell me how many times you should be pooping a day and stuff like that. And, it, and yeah. yeah, it's easy to snicker at, but it's important to think about, you know, because I think a lot of people have this. I mean, I, I, when you were saying something about, uh, you know, the different the different things that we're told what to do. I think I think a lot of times, man, if when you clean your gut out, I feel like your body is pushing out a lot of toxins. Um, when your gut's starting to get healthy, I don't I don't know if that's been your experience, and and I I think that's something maybe what how do you know what's a good sign that your gut is healing? Um, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. Maybe you can know basically how how you feel in general. Like if you have heartburn, gut issue. Right. If you have uh, diarrhea, constipation, gut issue. Uh, now, some gut issues can be caused by stress because that connection works both ways. So if you're a very stressed person, it can actually screw up your gut. Um, it can cause diarrhea or constipation, et cetera. Um, there could be underlying biological factors that are causing gut issues for you. Like you could have SIBO and you could have uh, some other issue. Um so there's a lot of factors involved, but understanding that the gut is probably the most, one of the most, if not the most important factor in health, in weight loss, in feeling good in general, mental health, everything across the board. Um, so, and, and by the way, like, so talking about mental health, 80% or so of your serotonin is produced in your gut. So when people learn this, they start to really understand the importance. When they start to understand, hey, if your uh, bad bacteria, quote-unquote bad bacteria, is starting to outnumber the good bacteria, things start to go wrong, that causes ramifications all over your body. If you have leaky gut, if your gut – so your gut is really supposed to keep bad stuff out and bring good stuff in, right? Like it's kind of – think about it as a screen door that scans what's coming in and saying, all right, you get passed because you're a nutrient and you don't get passed because you're, you need to be waste material or you're a bad thing. So if your gut's not functioning properly, you have quote unquote leaky gut, bad things are coming in that aren't supposed to be there. And so your immune system is attacking these things and that drives up inflammation. You're constantly firing this immune response over and over and over and over and over again. Of course, that leads to stress, inflammation, anxiety, and eventually 
uh, negative health outcomes. So, yeah, I mean, it's a big player, but people know when they have a gut issue. If they're constipated, okay. they have a gut issue. If they, so if you're eliminating properly once a day, usually it seems to be on a pretty consistent schedule. You don't, you don't feel like bloated all the time. You don't get indigestion. Those are all, uh, you know, symptoms that your gut's not functioning properly. It's good, man. Yeah, that just so, made me think about when I feel that way, it's usually because of stress, but a good way to combat stress is to make sure you have a healthy gut. Yeah, 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 for sure. You got to do both. Uh, so if you want a healthy gut, you got to make sure you're mitigating the stressors in your life, and you have to make sure you're feeding yourself properly, keeping yep. out the stuff that irritates and inflames the gut and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's just one aspect of live. The other major aspect of the live part of all of this is healing your relationship with food, body, and self. It's the psychological side of things. So um, going back to having a body and life you love, if you have a body that's breaking down, you cannot have a life you love because that will destroy your happiness. You can't be happy without a body that's functional and that's healthy, right? Consequently, if you have a life that's breaking down, you will not have the physical, mental, and emotional resources required to invest in having a body you love either. You won't be able to consistently nourish yourself with food and movement because your life sucks so bad. Why would you want to? You're unhappy all the time and you're stressed all the time and you just don't have anything left and all you want to do is sit around and medicate. So the live yes. part of this is you have to address both sides at the same time. We're going to focus on improving our body with food and movement nutrition. Then we're going to focus on all of the things that go into improving our life as well. We're going to look at am I fulfilling my core human cravings? Am I uh, developing healthy functional relationships? Or am I keeping around toxic people? that are bringing me down and that are stressing me out. And so we have to look at all of these different life factors and begin to do work in those areas as well, recognizing that changing your body will not change your life. That's another myth that people think, hey, if I just had uh, XYZ body, if I just weighed you know, arbitrary amount, everything about my life would be better. Total myth, nothing about your life will be better when you change your body unless you're also changing your life at the same time. It's change your mind, change your life. It's probably a better, better that thing too. to say. Yeah. Yeah, the toxic toxic people can really uh, drag you down with them, you know, and, and it just is – it's like a poison and a venom and it just uh, puts you just in a bad state of mind. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Great stuff. That's pretty good, man. Um, so, uh, I don't really know. I guess I could, I could, I could interject with another, uh, another just example about how I've cut people out of my, I don't know. I don't necessarily, I, I still love my friends and I think for me, like people that I, I mean, just doing what you're, what I've been doing, just trying to bet on myself and being in this process, um, I naturally have a distance from people, like an arm's distance and, you know, you're the you're the sum total of the five people you you communicate most with in your life. Um, I don't, I, I kind of believe that, and I, I think, yeah. I think it, it. You know, it's definitely. I mean, that's you know, that's that's. Um, it, I I on purpose choose who I spend my time with or yep. or what I do because it's you know I want to spend time with people that. So I kind of got to a certain point where I wanted to find people in my life where it didn't matter what we were doing. 
It was more important that we were just enjoying that time together. And I think it, those people in your life are the people, for me personally, where it's helped me the most um, in improving my life and waking up happier a lot more every day. So um, it's interesting, too, when I think about my, my friends from work. I try not to associate with too many people from work. A lot of it's just because even like if I had friends that I worked that I was friends with outside of work before, once we worked together, I tend to not hang out with people as much. And it's just because I see those people all the time anyways, and we're just going to end up talking about work. And that's the last thing I want to do when I'm not at work. So yeah, and I, I, I would agree with that. And, and I think, uh, Drew, it goes back to what we just talked about a couple days ago. You know, when you're, you're building that small, that tribe of people that, uh, you enjoy hanging out with and, and, you guys do projects together or whatever, or just hang out and tell stories. I mean, that just, that goes back thousands of years to a bunch of people hanging around the campfire, cooking up caribou or something, you know, and, and there's just yeah. something in our DNA that says this is how it should be under the stars, you know, and enjoying each other. So, or at least protecting each other some to some degree, you know. Awesome stuff. So you guys want a game plan? You going to talk about what you're, what you're going to yeah. do here? That's game plan, dude. This is fun, man. Thanks, Kevin, for essentially giving us a free consultation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> no this problem. Was, this was huge. Um, we still gotta get to your uh your your listener question too, but oh. we'll we'll do that in a minute. What do you what do you what are you gonna do, Tom, from here here on out? What do you what do you got going on? Well, you know, um I've been putting up a uh, here's what I'm going to do every week as I'm working out and blah, blah, blah. And then I look at it at the end of the week going, uh, yeah, I didn't really do all that stuff. So I think, um, you know, I'm really in tune with what you're saying here about, you know, motion and movement and walking and then interjecting some uh, some more intense, you know, some supplemental movement there. But I'm going to start right at the basics and just keep up the walking and stuff. And, um, you know, with the food thing. Jules is Jules is already there. She's uh she and I cook a lot together and stuff, but she is going down this path already. She's she's a huge fan of your podcast by the way. You and cool. uh, uh the Half Size Me podcast. She is totally something's clicked with her in the past couple of weeks. She found you guys and she's been listening and she's she was really excited that we're having this conversation. Um and uh we're just going to start working on eating making colorful and more real food you know get rid of the junk it's time yeah and uh um you know i think i think i'm gonna take your two uh evaluations too and see where it takes me as well because i th- i'm really intrigued by what i'm what i'm gonna find <laughs> for sure yeah I'm it's pretty, eye-opening people it, love it yeah this was great i mean I, there's a whole lot of whole holy moses uh holy shit moments here as i'm listening to this and i've been writing notes down as uh as we've been going so uh, yeah, I'm going to digest this too. This is, this is damn good. All right. Drew, what you got? Um, I think, uh, that's you're a, already kind of on the right track with food, right? You, like you were already yeah. headed down the real food path. Yeah. I mean, that's why I started farming. And now even, uh, to be honest, Tom, the first person that told me to do an aggregator was Kevin in reality. Oh. So yeah. And Kevin and I, have an unreleased podcast. There's pretty much just me picking Kevin's brain for 35 minutes about the service he used. So, um, yeah, so ultimately I'm going to keep doing the food thing. I need to, uh, continue to, to prep meals. Like I like to cook about 
uh, one to two pounds of a certain meat. I am about to get my uh, half a pig. That's yeah, that's pretty month, cool. Which I'm super excited for because most of it's going to be ground pork. So I'm excited to uh, make my own uh, trezos and do some different things with that meat um, just for fun and just to, to – I, I know what I like to eat. I'm, I'm basically – thing that I've, I'm buying consistently from the store is usually at least a pound of beef, one to two pounds of beef, a pound of chorizo, and one to two pounds of bacon a week. Um, and I know it's like nitrate free and everything else like that. And I know it's it's as neutrally nutri- nutrition dense that you can get from a grocery store, which still is pretty lacking if it's not from a farmer, in my opinion. Um, so continue that. I think the biggest thing is going to be for me is managing healthy relationship with my alcohol because um, I think you're right. I think if I just try to cut it out completely, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna, you know, I think it's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a, um, a relapse, but not really a relapse, but really just a binge moment. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I'm gonna get fucked up. And like, what, one thing that I, I didn't actually have that this weekend, which I was happy about. Um, my, I went and I saw some friends I hadn't seen in a while. And I was like, yeah, I'm not drinking much right now. And they were all drinking beer and we were actually making beer. And it was a cool thing. And my buddy's like, man, I got some bourbon, some special bourbons, my friend's husband. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll partake in some bourbon. And then I had like, I had, think I had three drinks and, uh, ate, ate some, some pretty all right food. It was homemade, uh, enchiladas. And then I had like, a uh, an apple cider, uh, that I knew the brewer of. And, and I think it's just, you know, maybe, you know, because I honestly don't really want to drink during the week. I feel a lot better when I don't drink because of, it's easier to sleep and wake up and get shit done. Yeah. Uh, and go to work. So I think it's mainly managing that relationship with alcohol. Maybe, maybe, uh, dissecting it a little bit more, I think. Uh, but, uh, then exercise, Mike, I, I want to spend more time walking for sure. Um, to try to break up the mundaneness. Like I really enjoy DDP yoga, but I think I was just doing it too much. And it was just to the point to where I felt like if I didn't accomplish it, I was I was fucking up, but then it's just yep. like man, like, I'm still working out way more than what I was before, and I think so too. Uh, reminding myself that I didn't, you know, you don't put on a lot of weight overnight, so you're not don't expect to take it off overnight. Yeah, just focus on feeling better. Focus on feeling better, sleeping better. Um, what do you think? I, I you know we I've heard uh, Brett talk about it in school sucks with the sleep thing. Do you think it's important to to avoid electronics for a certain amount of time before you actually go to sleep? I think for some people, I think for most people it probably is. It depends on, like, you can kind of grade your sleep quality. I usually ask people, hey, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you grade the quality of your sleep? Do you wake up a lot during the night? Do you toss and turn? Do you have trouble falling asleep? Things like that. Um, And if the answer is yes to those things, then we're going to go and start to implement some interventions. And one of those would be cutting off screen time uh, a certain amount of time before going to bed. But if someone's like, no, it's like uh, I'm an eight, you know, I don't wake up at night, like I sleep like a rock, then we're not going to change anything, you know? So we're not going to arbitrarily say, well, screen time is bad for every single person. 
if if you sleep like a rock, you know, yeah. <laughs> then there's nothing to worry about. But if you are I having issues, a lot to pee sometimes. If I'm <laughs> with exercise, I feel like because you're going to drink a lot more water and fluids that you're just going to wake up and pee. I don't. Do you think that's if you're you shouldn't really um, okay. if you're over drinking water, which is common for a lot of people, you don't need to follow any arbitrary water consumption guidelines. Uh, just look at the color of your pee. Like it should be light yellow. If it's clear, you're drinking too much water, and if it's dark, you're not drinking enough. Yeah. So just light yellow, keep it light yellow, you're good to go. Uh, and then just don't down a lot of liquids before you go to bed, and that right. will you know, prevent an unnecessary wake-ups. Because you do want to protect that time. You know, you shouldn't be, you know, people that down a giant glass of water and then they're up, you know, two or three times during the night to pee, that's really screwing up sleep. Yeah. Yep. So. Totally. Now, at the same time, too, for sleep, um, I mean, you should only be sleeping and fucking in your bed, right? Sex and Pretty sleep. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Okay. You want to you reserve that for those two activities. Uh, you want to be consistent with the time that you go to bed so that you get your body in a nice rhythm and keep it there the time you wake up. Preferably, if you don't have to set an alarm clock before the sun gets up, you would just want to wake kind of naturally with the sun or just whenever your body feels like waking up and, and being awake. Alarm clocks are kind of terrible for sleep quality. They wake you up at the wrong time, and they wake you up arbitrarily versus when your body's ready. So if you don't have to use an alarm clock, don't use an alarm clock. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I didn't have to, man, until this freaking uh, sun changed, man. It's like the season's care, and it's the sun's coming up about an hour later than what it was. So it's messing up my day. Yeah, I'm gonna be upset with the sun and shake my fist at it like a grumpy old man. <laughs> I'm telling you, I am sleeping so deep with this cooler weather and everything. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's another thing to change is the um, temperature of the room really affects sleep quality. Cooler temperatures does tend to make quality better. Um, some people, you know, they and some people they have a spouse like who likes it hotter or something. You know, then it's a a fight, right? Like. Yep. All right, who's going to get to change it? But, um, yeah, temperature, uh, white noise. Like for some people who have never tried white noise, it seems odd at first. But once you've like switched to having white noise on, man, it makes a huge difference. Oh, a fan. I feel like it's harder for me to wake up though or to get up and get Like going. You mean like you're groggier or? Uh, I just want to lay in bed longer. Yeah. I mean you may need more sleep. Yeah. That's true. That is true. That's I listen funny. to my body. You know, I'm just like, all right, if you want more sleep, well, That's... I don't listen to my body anymore because I have two kids. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but if I had a choice to listen to my body, I would. They get older. Sense. They get older. Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, well, that's great. Uh, I did have a question from the audience. Yes, yes. yes. Let's get to that. Uh, Julie, she really wants to know. Uh, she says, ask him about the meal maestro, the oh, new meal plan. The meal maestro. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, is, um, that is on hold. That, so meal maestro was an idea that I had a, a long time ago, a while back, to help people – plan their own meal because I'm not a fan of meal plans. I'm not a plan or, or a fan of uh, like giving people a plan of what to eat, which is very popular in the dieting industry. And lots yep. of people want meal plans. They just want to be told what to eat. I don't. 
I don't think it's empowering. I think that a lot of times the meal plans contain a lot of meals that people don't even like. So then they stray from the meal plan or they feel like it's a chore to follow the meal plan or they're not happy or whatever. So obviously that doesn't align with my thinking. But I wanted to create an app that people could go in and it would have pre-stored in it just hundreds of real food recipes. And then people could drag uh, their recipes to certain days and then it would – automatically generate their shopping lists for them, tell them all the ingredients they need to go get and what quantities. They could tell it what they already had and so on and so forth. Uh, be a, you know, a little app on their phone as well so they could just take their phone to the store and check the app for their list. Um, and then it would also give them the, the instructions for making the meals and all that stuff. Uh, but you know, running numbers and we started development on it just to dabble around with it. And it was like, we're going to have to have way too many users gotcha. to make it profitable. It was going to cost a shitload of money, like twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 just for the initial wow. version to, to come out to even see if this thing was going to work or be popular or anything like that. And it was taking away time from other things we were doing, like building courses and programs to really change people's lives. So... We're just like, all right, it's still a good idea, but we're going to have to rethink it at a later point. It's just not the time right now to tackle that. Do you think, uh, do you think it's a good idea though to like, let's say just pre-cook some ingredients and then you can kind of have enough fresh food there and then you can kind of just kind of go, all right, I have this and I can make it with this. That's what I, I could try to do, man. Like I saw, um, we're just having enough stuff in the fridge. I remember one day I was sitting around. And yeah. you had, uh, you made your, uh, your stuffed pepper burger. I was like, oh man, what a fucking great idea. <laughs> so I asked you about it. And then I just did a little bit different, man. Like I had my side of greens too with homemade dressing and then, uh, my, uh, my burger inside it. And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea to replace bread as a pepper. Never thought of that for yeah, a sandwich. I never thought of that either. Because crazy. lettuce, a lot of lettuces suck, man, when you, yeah. Uh, like people try to do the lettuce sandwiches, and I just feel like you're playing games with yourself. <laughs> just, just fucking make a you big are salad. you are yeah. Just make a big salad because yeah, you're not getting exactly. enough greens with that shit, man. Just make your salad delicious because you don't a salad. Well, plus, I mean, it's usually like iceberg or like some other yeah, not nutritious shitty. form of lettuce. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. Like it's some. Uh, I don't know. I as a lettuce farmer, guys, I can tell you some great <laughs> lettuce that you could eat. Um, but yeah, man, I think, uh, I think that's great, man. Thanks for, I'm glad we finally did this, Kevin. I've been meaning to, to figure out a way to get you on and, uh, I'm going to re, I'd like to repost this on the sample hour as well. Thomas. Oh yeah, th- absolutely. I think cause I have, uh, I pretty much have zero content at this point cause the season's over and I'm like, what am I going to do with my podcast? So no, this is this great is good and- for people, man. Yeah. Cause I think in the off season, man, you should be looking at, you're not spending time doing summer stuff, so spend time working on another aspect of your life. So, Heck yeah. No, I, uh, this, is, this is important stuff. I mean, I've learned so much. I think that'd be great, Drew. I, uh, yeah, let's do that. And, uh, and Kevin, how do we, fi- how do, how do our, my listeners who probably haven't heard of you before, how do they find you, man? So just go to rebootedbody.com. Every single thing that we've discussed or talked about is there. Podcast is there. Hundreds of articles there. Uh, our programs, our online academy, if you want help with this stuff, is all there. 
all in one place, rebootedbody.com. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff, and I was reading some articles before this and listening to some of the podcasts. They're very good, so uh, check, check out that out. Kevin's YouTube channel, too, man. I think oh. it is it is at rebootedbody.com, um, but I, Kevin's got great videos. I mean, if you're thinking of, I don't know, go through there. He's got a ton of great shit. Follow Kevin's work. He's also got another podcast. You still doing the uh, parenting podcast as well? Yeah, Revolutionary Parent Radio. Um, yeah, we have that is alive and kicking. We actually did. I started doing consults for parents uh, around the world, actually, and I did two free consults just to put up on the podcast that people can listen to um, to see if that's something they might want to do. Uh, so those are the latest two episodes, I think. But, yeah, there's a lot of content there. There's a lot of content on uh, schooling. There's content on parenting. Yeah, it's, it's a good place. Good grief. You're a busy guy. I am a busy guy. I am a busy guy. <laughs> yes. That's well, why we should be a good description. thankful for this hour and 40 minutes you oh, gave us this evening. Yeah, totally. And the uh, basically the two consoles, I mean, my God, I like I said, I learned a ton. I learned a ton. I'm going to be uh, all over your site, and we'll see, what, we'll see where we go from there. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, thank cool. you guys for having me, for sure. Oh, it was a blast. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, we look forward to bringing you more. Uh, Tom, this is your podcast. I know, I know. You're doing such a good job. Take us out, Drew. Check out. Uh, Yes, yes. Make sure uh, sampler.com as well. But uh, look forward to bringing you guys another episode of the Small Scale Life Healthy Living Podcast. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. 